Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Music of Life Church podcast. We are going to discuss the God's nature, the non-contradictory answer episode. If you haven't heard it, please give it a listen. We're going to break it down so that you can help people who've been hurt by this topic. I'm Pastor Jonathan here with Pastor Joel. Howdy. Howdy, howdy. Well, that was, uh, we talked about before we started filming that this was going to be the same length as the other episodes, but maybe it's a little bit longer. Yeah, it might have been. I, I think it, <laughs> but I, I think it may have needed to be. I, I really feel good about everything we talked about. I think it needed to be in there to kind of put a little ribbon on the the end of this mini series. Yeah, this this has been a, an absolute blast. Um, and just right right from the get go, the thing that struck me is is this idea about objectively knowing if we are worshiping the right god or the wrong god right and the discussion about what is objective because you know god is the way that they that he is because people feel it right so what I'm what I really saw from this episode is that I, I'm gonna I'm gonna state this. I'm gonna kind of talk this out at the same time, but I feel like the church their answer for who God is is his nature is contradictory and his nature is ununderstandable. And that is what makes God, God. <laughs> yeah, that feels like the experience I have with a lot of the conversations I've had with other pastors and leaders in the church regarding this topic. So to, to go on this objective thought, if I present anything that is objective or makes sense, someone who believes God is ununderstandable, whatever I presented to them is going to feel wrong and bad. Yeah. So, and, and they said that we shouldn't be able to define God. So God can't be understood because God needs to be so big. He can't be understood. Right. He should be contradictory because he can do whatever he wants. And when you say, well, that doesn't make sense. They go exactly. Right. That's why he's God is because it doesn't make sense. And then they support that by saying, see, our finite brains can't understand this. We can't get our, our, our heads around how amazing he is. And the thing that is just bothering me about all of this is. Why would you listen to anyone if they're going to give you a bunch of contradictions and, you know, so basically what I'm going to say is I'm going to give you some advice. I'm going to give you some things to do. And if it confuses you to do them, you need to trust me. (laughs) Yeah. Because that's what they're saying about God. If I'm confused by God, you know what, you know what we're going to do? We're going to have our, uh, we're going to have people, in our congregations come in and we're going to explain to you about how confusing God is. 
And you know what that's going to do? That's going to cause people to trust him. And praise him for his <laughs> confusing nature. Right. He is just so awesome that we can't understand him at all. You know what? At least I didn't put him in a box. Wow. That's great. I think the root of this is false humility. Man. And like you said, idolatry as well. Right. So, I mean, I think about the humility episode, which was great. You know, and Mrs. Tater even listened to it and it helped her. Yeah. And it, and it helped her get to a point where she was able to consider another perspective. And, and the result was she admitted she was wrong. But what I'm seeing, I love, I love everything you just shared. Cause what I'm seeing is really when I don't understand humility, when I think humility means to make myself small mm. and pride means to make myself big, then a way that I can make sure I'm humble is to emphasize the smallness of man compared to the bigness of the Lord. And that's what makes more sense to me than somebody trying to give me a non-contradictory definition for God's nature. But it's this false humility because these same people who are saying, I'm so small, I'm so finite, I'm just a human, I'm depraved, are the same people who, when you do give them a non-contradictory answer, attack you for it. Right. And aren't willing to consider they're wrong. So that's where like a lot of this, this finite mind line. I'm not saying, and I know you're not saying that we can understand everything about God, but we can understand who he is in his nature to the point where we can understand the effects of God as we experience them because they're guided by right and just. Right. But yeah, this not understandable actually causes me to trust him that's that's funny and, and scary it is it's just so i mean how many years so it's been since 1969 or the, the 1960s that that the godless christianity movement has been around so that's what you know the effects of what we see in the church all around us is a result of that right you know, and what you said with the Jeremiah passage is just, that's absolutely amazing. That's what we're supposed to glory in. We're supposed to brag about the fact that we understand and know him. And it's not about what we did to understand him. It's the fact that he wants to be known yeah. and we know him. He's our father right? and we are his kids. And there's nothing better than that. Right. And so we can know our heavenly father as we ought to be knowing our earthly fathers as well. Right. And if you were to say to a dad, you know, if a kid were to say, sorry, dad, I can't really understand you. You're too big. So I'm not going to talk to you. I'm not going to, I'm not going to try to understand you. I'm not going to ask you questions. I'm not going to find out more about you. I'm just going to bump around 
you know, hoping that I learn something about you, ho- hoping that I get to be able to hang out with you more. It's you might ask sense. you for stuff every once in a while and get mad when you don't give it to me, even though Man. I'm not even sure I'm really talking to the right person. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, this is this has just been amazing. And I want to talk about this whole appearance thing going on in the church. So can you kind of, can we kind of commentate on that a little bit about what's going on? So essentially we want to, in this podcast, we want to help people help the people who've been hurt by church. So essentially what's happened is the Pharisees in our day have said that God is on an ununderstandable mystery and that's what makes him amazing. Right. And they are, and anytime someone asks a question to try to make him make sense, the Pharisees of our day feel like we're making him smaller. Is that what's going on? Yeah, absolutely. And then the where the appearance comes in is yeah. how they respond to when somebody asks a question that exposes a contradiction in their life. Because what it means, like what we're talking about appearance is the way I look, right? Now, this doesn't necessarily mean what clothes I wear, shoes I have on. It's how do people see me as a person? Mm. And what we've learned through these episodes is that man-made tradition has created, these religious leaders have created a man or a God in their own image, a God that has the attributes of what they want and you know all-knowing all-powerful can do everything doesn't you know doesn't answer to anybody and the way we so really it reveals to us what we really want as men and that's Mm -hmm. where what we see so often when a contradiction is exposed in a religious leader in these modern day pharisees they do everything they can to prevent the appearance of looking wrong. That's really what we're seeing. That's what we learned through Mrs. Tater's phone call. Yeah. And, you know, this, and and we've actually talked about this in a previous episode too, of knowing a pastor who actually stated pastors can't be wrong. And that pastor even stated it. He, he was stating it not as, a statement of, I believe pastors can't be wrong. It was, that's the culture pastors live in. Mm. Like a pastor is not allowed to be wrong, but who's enforcing that? The people or the pastors themselves. Nice. Cause I see it. I see people looking up to pastors who do admit they're wrong. So, and, and that makes sense because if I don't have the right answer or if I feel really insecure about leading people and I don't have any answer, then the only thing I can really cling to is someone with the answer being wrong or defending being right. Because if I, you know, the tradition going on right now is if I admit that I'm wrong, the feeling is that the congregation's going to leave. Yeah. So I need to defend being right to my church. 
what are they going to think about the 20 years that I've served as a pastor and preached about God wrong? Well, I better make sure that I'm not wrong. So that never happens. Right. So remember all those years when I said to embrace the mystery? Uh, I was wrong about that. I, every yeah. time in the passage, it's, you know, every time in the Bible, it says to embrace, you know, every time it talks about the mystery, it's been, it's, it's revealed to believers. Uh-oh. Yes. I get the difficulty of that, but we do, we, we project on, we look up to people who admit they're wrong, but, but we assume everybody's going to look down on us if we do the same. Yeah. Reminds me of this, this, uh, this thing I was talking, like, what type of pastor do you want? What's your ideal pastor? Is it the pastor who's never wrong? Uh, just so you know, PJ, that guy doesn't exist. So yeah, right. Is it the pastor who's wrong, but doesn't admit it? Or is it the pastor who's wrong and confesses and repents when he does? Right. When he is. Yeah. I want that one. But what type of pastor are the religious leaders trying to be? Mm -hmm. They're trying to be that first guy who's never wrong, but that person doesn't exist. Yeah. And no, everybody knows it. Yeah. It's, it's, this is powerful stuff. And, that, and if we were to go back to that Jeremiah passage, with what's happening in the church right now, it's like, but let him that glory glorieth glory in this, that he doesn't have any understanding yeah. and can't know me, that I am Jehovah who exerciseth a mystery that <laughs> yeah. cannot be understood <laughs> in the earth. Right. For in these things... I delight, saith Jehovah. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> That's just. Sometimes. Man. So, okay. So I want to talk about this. I want to talk about conjunctives. Cool. How, how would I get good at putting things into a conjunctive? Like when you're, when like you're, you're raising Jack and your son and you're trying to give him conjunctives as a father, when he grows up, how do you, how did you get good at giving conjunctives or what could you offer any advice to people that I would be able to spot if someone's in the limitation, if someone's in the freedom so that I could get better at identifying it and then giving conjunctives to other people. So here's where I would start. Whatever I'm talking, like with Jack, whatever I'm trying to lead him in, whatever I'm trying to discipline him in, whatever I'm trying to talk to him about. Mm -hmm. And what we do here with every one of our episodes, the ultimate answer, what? It's ultimately meant to help the person listening love others hmm. so here's where i would start if i was trying to practice conjunctives in my own life so i'll tell you what the way i'm doing this to jack only works if i'm doing it in my own life first right 
So when I'm interacting with Jack or when, you know, you and I are interacting with our churches, we're trying to do everything in love. So love is the limitation in whatever we're doing. Hmm. I ought to be asking myself if I'm preaching a sermon, if I'm, you know, helping Jack with his homework, if I'm trying to help Jack have an interaction a, a good interaction with his mom or with a teacher, whatever I'm telling him, the limitation can be, how is this for Jack or for the other person's benefit? Nice. So that's what we did with, you look at all the archived episodes we have, we look at the ultimate answer and it really is a study of how do you get good at conjunctives? It's this. When you swear, do it for the benefit of the person you're interacting with. Yeah. You can swear as much as you want, as long as it's for their benefit. Drinking, drink as much as you want, as long as it's for the other person's benefit. So I think for me, that's how I started getting good at practicing and recognizing a limitation is, is operating in love. That's and, awesome. And love being the limitation in everything I do has really started helping me see it that way. And then, you know, and then understanding what a conjunctive is. So a lot of that's through experience, but understanding what a conjunctive is. Another way I get better at this is once I got that concept. Now, when I study the word, when I study Jesus's behaviors and his words and what he spoke, when I study the words of Jehovah, the father, I can start identifying them. And now I can start growing in my ability to identify a conjunctive through understanding. Hmm. Paul did it all the time too. Paul, one of the more, one of the famous conjunctives that I use that covers everything. It's not really like what's cool about the, the Adam God and Adam example is it's mm -hmm. an, it's a specific application of a conjunctive, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Eat of any tree, except the tree knowledge, freedom, yep. one limitation. When Paul talks about doing things in the church, administrations, gifts, all these different things, words of prophecy, signs, wonders, miracles, he clarifies it all by giving this ultimate conjunctive. How should the church operate? Do all things, freedom, decently and in order, limitation. When I, that's basically for me, that's the conjunctive I go back to where it's like, is this me? Am I trying to limit us from doing anything? Because if I am, I'm not doing the do all things half of the conjunctive. When I am stepping into something, is it one limitation? Is it decently in an order? Is this done in an objective manner? Is it done in love? So that's really for me, I guess the, the experience route that I went through was when I understood the concept of love, using love as my limitation. And then through understanding is once I was given this doctrine of a conjunctive, it's like, okay, now when I read the word, I want to have every, I want to try to put everything through that filter. That's awesome. So that's what my advice to people would be. You want to get good at conjunctives. The first thing I would do, like at, you want to understand them, be able to identify them. Start studying the scriptures, study the word 
specifically the words of Jehovah, the words of Jesus, because there you're guaranteed that it's going to be through a conjunctive when it's Jesus and, and the father. And if you want to experience, you want to grow in applying conjunctives to your life. Love, love, That's love, so love, good. love, love, man. The, what a great answer. I feel like that really makes sense to how Jesus operated where he's like, the law is summarized in love the Lord, your God and love other people as yourself. Right. And so I think that that's a great, if we get, if we can help people with the conjunctive, give them a conjunctive like love that they can apply in their life. They can, they can learn a conjunctive through understanding and then apply it in their experience. And I think it, that becomes a little easier. Yes. Um, and that's such a good, um, such a good objective proof that you're loving someone is how does that benefit them do that for the benefit all of the stuff that we were talking about early on is essentially us yeah you're right it's us practicing or applying our love conjunctive to all of these other topics right and that's what's cool is you look at the definitions of that we've given so far of love of humility yeah of you know, of God's nature, these are all, they are all conjunctives. Love is a conjunctive in and of itself. Right. And then when I use that concept of love in my life, it happens to become a limitation for how I'm interacting with other people. So that's where it, this is really powerful when it comes to God's nature, because him being, he is limited by his nature he is because he is always and completely you know or he he only has the ability to be always and completely right and just right in everything so what that does is that i can take that definition and i can apply that to the areas in my life and look to justify to first because that's the advice that we would give if someone's been hurt by the church can you help them understand that god is right and just and use that information that he's right and just to apply it to how someone's been hurt right so god is right and just is that thing that happened to you wrong or unjust if it is then that was not God. Right. Which I love your first step there is let's justify God. Right. 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 That's where, you know, we brought up Job in the yes. what the flock episode and his issue, the suffering that he initially experienced wasn't his fault, but he did make a misstep in the midst of it when he justified himself and not God. Yeah. And just, yeah. right. And justifying God is literally saying, how can we look for how he's right? How yeah. can we look for how he's just? It is. Justify. Yeah. Instead of justifying ourselves, it is that warped version of what what we said the atheists will do is take that and flip it on ourselves. Like we right. want to be, we want the world to be right and just. We want ourselves to be right and just. But for some reason, we have a disconnect in applying those principles to God. Man. Except when 
we blame him for when things aren't right and just. But the thing is, the fact that he's right and just, the truth behind that also means because God's right and just, the world isn't. Right. Because it would be wrong or unjust of God to make us in this world right and just against our will. Right, right. So atheists making this argument when they do that God doesn't exist because the world is right and the world is wrong, the world is unfair. I could just as easily as a theist Mm -hmm. (laughs) say God is right and just and he does exist. And the proof of that is because the world is wrong and unfair. That's nice. Yeah, that's cool. I love what you said as well about, um, you know, right and just being within all of us. Like no one has to teach us to want to be right or to get upset when things are unfair. Right. And so we're really on a journey of pursuing the one who is right and just, or we're working in our own strength and our own ability to be right or just. And that's essentially what atheists are doing is they are proving to themselves and other people that God is wrong or unjust or contradictory. Therefore he can't exist. So they are essentially more right and just than a being that doesn't exist. Right. Yeah, they are. They're, they're justifying themselves. So yeah. it is, it's either God or idolatry. Yeah, man, that's so cool. So let's go through our, our categories here of, you know, because in, in the, in the, what, uh, in what the flock, we talk about how these, how this topic manifests itself in three categories. And in this podcast, we can talk about them in terms of self-esteem. So can you talk about the low, mid, and high self-esteem responses to God's nature, PJ? Yeah, so the low self-esteem, the people we feel sorry for, the unwilling people. These are the people who are focused on appearance. That's the unwillingness. I'm unwilling to admit I'm wrong. It's going to make me look bad. Mm -hmm. They have low self-esteem. So Mm -hmm. their self-esteem, the low that they do have tends to be wrapped up in the way they look physical appearance, everything external outside of me, the way people outside of me look at me is what gives me value. And if I'm wrong, that's going to make me as a person not be worth as much. Mm. So I'm not willing to hear when I'm wrong. The mid self-esteem. I love it. These are, these are people who are unable. They're not unwilling. These are people who would, who would have a level of humility they would be able to consider another perspective to the point where they recognize being in an abusive environment isn't safe for me. Nice. They're just unable to find the right answer. Mm. And then there's the, the high self-esteem people, these, and I think we mentioned it in the, what the flock is, we don't 
only look up to people who have the right answer. We look up to the people who respond well to an answer that contradicts their currently held beliefs. Yeah. When they respond well to that. Right. Because another way to look at these self-esteem perspectives is the low self-esteem people are the ones who are going to attack you when you do say something that proves them wrong. Nice. The mid self-esteem people, their issue is they just aren't given the right answer. They don't know what to do. They're just, they're aimless. They want to go the right direction. They just don't have the ability to do so. Mm. But it's the high self-esteem people who are the ones who, when you give them an answer that contradicts their beliefs, they'll thank you for it. Mm-hmm. That's great. And then as we've been hammering this out, God, uh, the, the ultimate non-contradictory answer. Yeah, right and just is a, it is a conjunctive in and of itself. Righteousness yeah. is the freedom. Justice is the limitation. So C.S. Lewis was right. This explanation is simple. It is expressible. And it covers all of the effects of God, which we went through really, I mean, we went through briefly, but I think really effectively all the last five episodes and how right and just actually explains all the effects from God is love to the omnis, to sovereignty, to the names of God, to God's existence. So one of the things that this podcast has kind of shown me is that if I am going to go down the road of helping people understand God's nature, what they're going to feel is they're going to feel like the answer that I have is immediately wrong. Right. If they, if, if they've embraced the godless Christianity movement, then his nature is ununderstandable and, you know, we're too finite to grasp it. So that is their belief. Yeah. Chances are, if your experience in the church began in 1969 or later, the culture of the church that you've experienced is one that has been influenced by the godless Christianity movement. So for those of you, those leaders out there who are wanting to help people understand God's nature in the non-contradictory fashion, Jonathan and I have experience with this and we will warn you to not be surprised when you get pushback from everybody you try to share this with. Well said. Which is why one of the things Pastor Jonathan and I have learned over the years is even when we're sharing this information, this most important answer, who is God, we need to make sure we're doing it in love. Yeah, We need to make sure we're sharing this information for the benefit of the people that we're teaching it to and not just because we have the right answer and we want, and especially not because we want to prove other people wrong. It needs to be done in love. And if it proves someone wrong, my hope is that it's done as an effect, right? Not as a cause. So you weren't, we weren't trying to, Oh, I had this conversation because I was just trying to show someone that they were wrong. It's like, no, right. were you trying to, cause that, that would be for me. Yes. Me showing that, me showing someone wrong is for me. And then you have the ultimate answer, but you're not operating according to the ultimate answer. Right. Yeah, that's so good. So that's why we went on 
a journey and we did it step by step by step is because we're trying to help people get ready for the ultimate answer. Right. That's why in a lot of these things, we, you know, when it comes to God's nature, these definitions, we're taking a step back. We're trying to understand where people are regarding the conjunctive because yes. people are always somewhere in that conjunctive. Very rarely do we find them in the middle. Right. Every single person is either, you know, we say, what do we say? 99% of people are either in the limitation or in the freedom side and much more in the freedom side than the limitation side in the world. I would say that there's, um, there might be more in the, well, I can't even say that. I can't say that there's more in the limitation side in the church anymore because of, um, the emergent church movement. Yeah. So embrace the mystery is very freedom. How about this? 99% of people believe that God cannot be understood. Oof. Does that, is that fair? 99% of people believe that his nature is unable to be defined. I mean, from my experience that I'll say this, that doesn't sound wrong. (laughs) it's kind of bold to say that but man but what's the middle another way of seeing the middle of the conjunctive it's the narrow path it is it is a narrow path and i think what we are learning through these episodes you know especially the god's nature series the narrow path applies to the church as well mm-hmm. and it, it does seem like i'll say that that if that 99 yeah if that 99 stat is factual it's not just applicable to the world it's applicable to the church too and i gotta say this pj while i'm thinking about it you and i i i feel our 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 feet to the fire here i feel a lot of tension that you and I like we need to handle well because here we are doing a podcast basically saying, wow, how ridiculous are these people for not admitting that they're wrong? Like we get it that they don't admit that they're wrong, but here you and I are doing this podcast about this is people's God's nature is one of the most deeply held beliefs anyone has So what does that mean for you and I, as we need to be examples of uh, being wrong and handling it well, being the best at handling being wrong? Yeah. Because we're doing a podcast of, you know, wanting people to consider a different perspective. Yeah. And that doesn't change. Even when you do have the non-contradictory answer, you're necessity for humility doesn't evaporate we still need to be humble because you know what no matter how much information i have it's always possible there's something i'm missing yep that's one of the big things that separates me from god yep is i don't have all the facts right and we're not And so the way that we're going to become 
more right and more fair is by discovering ways that we are wrong and unfair and allowing him the cause of right and just to do actions through us. Right. So, yeah, this is going to be a fun journey. It already has been, but I feel it too. I feel yeah. the, the more and more we've gone down this path, the more responsibility I feel over the information we've been teaching. Perfect. That's a per- I was feeling that same thing. Responsibility. Yeah. Well said. It's, it is, it's, it feels like a burden we're carrying and, and in order to carry it well, we need to be like the people we are looking up to. Yep. While we're talking about that, I just want to say this one more. I, I mentioned this in the What the Flock episode for God's Nature, the non-contradictory answer. I do want to let the listeners know I'll be attaching a link to this episode to an animation. The animation is called God Wants to Be Known. We believe God wants to be known. We believe we've proven that out through the God's series episodes the six episode arc and again the way to see this animation is really a very 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 efficient explanation for everything we've covered over really 12 episodes if you look at it from two podcasts six episodes this animation covers all of that in less than five minutes so please watch please share it's one of the greatest animations i've ever seen Thank you, Pastor Joel. And thank you to everyone who's listening. This has been the Music of Life Church podcast. If you have any questions or comments or you'd like to hear a certain topic, please let us know. We'll see you next time.